This is the Accidental Safety Pro brought to you by HSI. This episode was recorded October 18th, 2020. My name is Jill James, HSI's Chief Safety Officer, and today I'm joined by Carter Devine, a safety professional working for the Department of the Navy located in California. Now, the reason I asked Carter to be our guest today is because I was reading about him in a press release from the National Safety Council. Carter has been... um, I guess you could say they have decided that Carter is a rising star. And so I'm curious to find out from Carter what that means. There are 38 rising stars, according to the National Safety Council for 2021. And Carter is one of them. So um, Carter, welcome to the show. Can't wait to hear about your stardom. (laughs) Yeah, thank you very much. I'm incredibly humbled and both excited to be here. Awesome. Well, Carter, you are working for the Department of Navy. Sounds super interesting. Also want to hear about the rising star, but as we say on this podcast, let's hear what your winding path to safety was, or was it a direct path? Yeah. uh, So based off of some of the previous podcasts I've heard from you, it sounds like most individuals kind of just, as you said, fell into the, the safety profession. But I guess I'm one of the anomalies on that uh, as I actually had my path chosen around junior year of high school. Uh, it's kind of Whoa. an indirect, direct choice there. Um, mm-hmm. I was asked to do a project by my junior high school teacher uh, of what my career was going to be. And at that point, I'd only ever thought I was going to be a professional baseball player. But uh, (laughs) that was a bit unrealistic. And they said that choosing uh, the military was too easy for the project at the time. So at that point, I was like, what was something physical but is considered a career? And that led to, you know, firefighting. And so we actually did the research and that led to fire science. And fire science led to safety management. And so from Hmm. that point, I actually took that project and ran with it and then went home and talked to my dad about it. And, you know, it was one of those self-realizations that he'd really always talked about work, but never explicitly said what his title was. And that's when I found out that he was an explosive safety specialist. (laughs) <laughs> but did 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 a fair share of both the the occupational safety and health side as well. Wow. And so uh from there it was definitely kind of like a commitment to be like dad again without was ever your, realizing it. Yeah, was your dad totally beaming at this point like wait, this kid yeah. organically came across this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh it was interesting because I was I was one of four children and I was quite a bit of the wild child, so it was a contradiction to think I might be one to go into the safety world anyways. But then, yeah, well, it, it just it gave yeah. us a greater connection point. So it was awesome. Well, you did start out with interest in, in fire science. And so you have to be a little bit of an adrenaline junkie to be interested in that. So maybe, Absolutely. That, maybe that was part of your wild child, right? One of many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so what happened? You had this high school project. You kind of made your decision. That's amazing in high school. So what happened next? Yeah. So 
I was born and raised in a small country area of uh, Bloomfield, Indiana, and so I kind of did research on the local opportunities of that type of education, and there was Eastern Kentucky University, Indiana State University, and Indiana University, but I wanted to stick with more of the small town feel, so I went with uh, Terre Haute, Indiana for Indiana State University. I ended up going there and did the undergraduate degree in three years, and it was around my sophomore year. I chose, I kind of like manifested that I wanted to work at NSWC or Naval Surface Warfare Center Crane, uh, which happened to be about 35 minutes outside of where my hometown was, and so kind of like just kept working towards Mm -hmm. it, did all the internships that I could while at Indiana State. And then lo and behold, my junior slash senior year, there was a a Pathways program that opened up, which is a different term for its internship. Uh, But to be eligible for that internship, you had to show that you were still going to be in uh, academic coursework for another three to six months and so at that point, I went ahead and decided to go for my master's degree as well to be eligible. And so I did my master's degree online with Indiana State University as well. Uh, I could have chose uh, Columbia Southern or any of those other potential online courses, but uh, I was familiar with the, profession, the professors at Indiana State and knew what type mm-hmm. of education I would continue to get. And with it being in close proximity, I would be able to still meet with my chairman when I had to do my field studies. So did that in a year and a half. And thankfully, wow. they, they were willing to uh, bring me on full time. So while you were an undergrad, you kind of looked out on the horizon and said, hmm, I think I want to work for the Department of Navy at this specific location. And it happened. Yeah, so the the specific location was one of those that just kind of sat there out in the open my entire childhood. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was one of the economic drawings to the area I was in, so it was it wasn't entirely like a hidden idea. But the the without without being an engineer or a scientist of something of that nature, that's not always the easiest to get into. So, right. Well, and the pathways program sounds pretty pretty interesting is that something that's unique to the military um no so the definition of pathways program was specific to nswc crane but there are all sorts of careers along or ways to develop that career so there's there's stem uh internships there's narpa in uh internships but basically they they're each aligned for whatever type of degree you're going for and so mm-hmm. uh, around mm-hmm. October since we operate on that fiscal year is when you can typically see, expect to see them open and then usually mm-hmm. selections are made by December time frame but mm-hmm. definitely definitely something worth looking into because it's got a great structure for any younger individual to come up through. Mm, well that's a good tip for our listeners thank you. Now you've mentioned the NSCW. Did I get NSWC? Right. See, okay. What does that What does that stand for in context um, with the Navy? Right. So we are 
Well, the re first, uh, the reason I love the NSWC or Naval Surface Warfare Center is because it has probably one of the highest uh, missions you could support. Uh, and it's, we directly support the warfighters. Uh, so we are one of ten what we refer to as sister warfare centers that are located across the United States. Uh, they Their function ranges anywhere from in-service engineering agency, which is what my current Naval Surface Warfare Center is here in Port Wanimi. That basically means that we are the subject matter experts in engineering analysis and for the systems that are on ships. So if one of them needs troubleshooting or um, even put in from the whole beginning or taken off or updated, uh, we are the ones that go onto the ship, or I should say our engineers and technicians are the ones that go onto the ship. And then mm -hmm. there's a whole all, all kinds of RDT or RDT and E or research and development that goes on through all of the warfare centers. There's others that focus specifically on underwater warfare. Uh, so the, the, the mission is very broad, but very specialized to supporting the warfighter. Mm -hmm. hmm. and, and Carter, you are there as a civilian, correct? Right. So it's a it's a pretty unique relationship. Um, we warfare centers are ninety five percent civilians. For okay. So within that civilian category are both contractors. So people like SAIC, Northrop Grumman, and then their subcontractors, so on and so forth. Uh, they work alongside us, but I would not have direct oversight on them but mm -hmm. i would i would i mean a, a body is a, a person is a person and, and property is property so i i can provide recommendations but i have to work through the contracting office or representatives and if i think there needs to be any changes associated with those contracts mm -hmm. and then the military side we work again right alongside of them but uh there's usually no more than 70 or so mili active military actually associated to Port Wanimi, but there are mm -hmm. other what are called tenants to the Naval Base Ventura County in which some of them are completely military. So mm -hmm. it just really depends on what section you're associated with. Sure. So as people are listening um, to us, uh, Carter, you know that's interesting to know that people can work as civilians on um on military bases I, I did that early in my career as a civilian but there were definitely i was a minority as a civilian you have the opposite um the opposite experience where you are um so this is interesting for people who are listening thinking about careers and career changes so do you want to describe um describe maybe what does the safety world look like where you are like you know, do you work with a team and then maybe an example or two of like current projects that you're working on? Yeah. So within the Navy, there is a higher instruction or regulation. Um, and when I say higher, it refers to the Occupational Safety and Health Administration regulations or the CFR. But mm -hmm. it also takes into consideration the horizontal and vertical standards so the ANSI's, ASMEs, and those things along the world. 
where we say we're going to incorporate the most stringent instruction regulation or policy possible because we want to ensure we're not overexposing or exposing any personnel to any unnecessary hazard. Mm-hmm. But so within that, uh, I currently have, including myself, a team of four here at Port Wainimi with additional personnel in the explosive safety world. And then there's others that are spread across the United States at our detachment sites. So all together, mm-hmm. there's seven of us. Um, okay. Within that, uh, I'm considered the team leader, the safety manager. So wow. my, my oh, thank you. Uh, my mm-hmm. day consists of a lot, actually. It can vary mm-hmm. from day to day. Uh, there are roughly 38 programs and i say roughly because each warfare center may or may not have actual functions in specific programs and those can range anywhere from the what everyone recognizes as you know the the confined spaces ergonomics um, personal protective equipment so on and so forth but then on the other Mm -hmm. side there are specific programs associated with um, operational risk management which shouldn't be pigeonholed into just operational as in what the military goes out and does, but it's truly what we do from a day-to-day basis, uh, having situational awareness, taking the time to stop and review what you're about to do, mm-hmm. to traffic safety where we have uh, kind of we adopt a little bit of like the Department of Transportation minimal hours or maximum hours permitted for our, our drivers that might be driving something from east coast to west coast to put it on a ship um, mm-hmm. so again it's very diverse very diverse mm-hmm. and awesome. so a couple of the projects that we've had recently um, have been more on the personnel and personal developments and so that kind of like jumping back to my uh, the managerial role I have to step outside of the program sometimes and think of how am I going to strategize to develop these programs. Mm-hmm. And so last week we had our um, Naval Surface Warfare Center's Community of Practice, uh, which mm-hmm. brings together the Warfare Center managers from all 10 of the Warfare Centers, in which we go over some of the um, commonalities that we of issues we might be having. Uh, so... Mm-hmm. We went over some lessons learned with some of the previous um, investigations that we've had. Uh, we talked about the recent, uh, it's called the OPNAV instruction 5123, which is that higher overarching instruction. They just came out with a new change with it. So we kind of, d- we discussed what effects those changes might have had and how each warfare center has gone about implementing those changes. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's really just an over, a, a great um, knowledge sharing uh, capability so that helps me grow as a safety manager and also just seeing the different perspectives of safety managers that are ranging from being in the job for two years all the way up to 25 years yeah. and then on the personnel development side uh, there's a lot of the mentoring aspect of it uh, mm-hmm. I might again I might seem young from the managerial side of things, but I, I have very compounded my experiences to this point. And so yeah. the side of taking taking certain programs uh, that have a newer program manager 
getting them into courses that will help improve their knowledge and then helping them Id idealize how to take that knowledge and actually expand upon it and apply it to the workplace. Mm -hmm. Well, and it sounds like with you have a lot of collaborators um, with whom to run things past and like you said, to learn from, to be that mentor and possibly mentee. Um, you know, you were talking about being young in, in your profession for the responsibility that you have. Um, I know that you've you've got some opinions on answering the question, when are you really a safety professional and something about job qualifications? What have you learned about that and what are your what are your thoughts on that? Right. Uh so I really don't think just going to an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree ever is enough to consider yourself a professional. Uh, that really just means that you were able to go and absorb the information and potentially put it back down on a piece of paper. And so whether or not you have actually mastered the application of that or the emotional intelligence to actually have those critical conversations with an employee that might not explicitly agree with you. Uh, so the, the true safety professional side of it is to be able to be flexible in your approach to each situation and so one of the items that I was involved with at NSWC Crane was developing a job qualification requirement that basically gave the first year, second year, and maybe even third year employees kind of like a line of what to look forward in accomplishing. So it could be you know, 10 inspections in which five of them were with three different uh, senior safety specialists, so you're getting different perspectives on how to actually do the investigation or the the mm -hmm. the the building inspection, and then do an additional five on your own and show what tangible deficiencies you were able to find, and so that way, like the senior safety specialists or the safety manager can be like, well, I see you only found electrical, so maybe we need to expand upon what information you know for fire and life safety. Uh, program sure. in it and so on and so forth but really it's just a matter of making sure that this we're not pigeonholing ourselves into uh, I am the single source of information um, that's mm -hmm. where the, I just see as, as a safety professional you should have the emotional intelligence to be able to admit that you don't know everything and that we could continually learn from each other so that's from a mm -hmm. personal perspective, that is where I have been focusing a lot of my attentions this last last year or two as far as actually using the outside sources I have, so the, the LinkedIn, the safety conferences, so on and so forth, to develop the networking and see what other other areas of knowledge that we can continue to grow in. Yeah. So is, is that, is part of that, um, you had said to me when we talked previously, you know, about an ability to be self-critical, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, Being absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the, yeah. Seeing where you have, where, where there are some opportunities to learn more and gosh, this is a career where we are constantly, constantly learning. And it kind of goes two ways as well. Uh, when earlier you mentioned the mentor mentee yeah. but going going out of your way to identify who they should who those people could, should be in your life mm -hmm. um 
and that doesn't even mean that it's only one. So I've I have recently found what I would consider a a career coach that I've utilized heavily versus mm -hmm. a career mentor. And yeah, so, talk about that. Yeah, talk about that. Yeah, That's so it's mm -hmm. it's really all in the approach. So the career mentor has kind of been that like hey i've got these job opportunities coming up like can you help me look through them as far as where you would have where, what would you would have done what do you think i am capable of doing mm -hmm. it's a very interpersonal relationship and then the coaching side of things it's not to say there's not interpersonal relationships there because you still have to have that trust developed between each other to mm -hmm. be able to take whatever self-critical information they might share with you and take it as constructive criticism to move on. But it's more like they understand where you're trying to go and they kind of push you into a direction with their self-opinion or self professional opinion as to say, on this project, I would have recommended having this communication style and or so on mm -hmm. and so forth. It's mm -hmm. it is very it's it's more directional is how I would refer to it as. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's it's basically saying like they have the professional capabilities that you desire to have and you're going to learn more explicitly from them versus the mentorship where there is a constant uh back and forth communication with each other that's mm -hmm. not to say there's not communication and coaching but mm -hmm. that is how i am highly utilizing it yeah and so is your coach someone that you sought out yourself and is it someone who's um within the system um, where you work or did you right. go outside yeah, yeah. so okay. both it was definitely like a, i had to earn my capability to ask that question so he mm. the individual is in my organization now out at Porwanimi. He's a okay. phenomenal individual. I am not the first, nor will I be the last that he has coached. And even even he and himself has kind of developed and, and mastered his trade to where he, he understands that mentorship is a longer lasting commitment where coaching, it could be for a shorter, shorter duration because once they determine that like you've adult developed the necessary skills in that area, you guys can move on. Like you're still gonna be friends and communicate. Mm -hmm. And but the like I explicitly went to him for um, internal leadership capabilities and he is most certainly a subject matter expert in that uh, in that area. So once mm -hmm. I get to a point where I feel like I've got that aspect under wraps i will i know for a fact i'll continue to communicate with him mm -hmm. uh, but it was very organic uh, I, did, I wasn't able in some cases you might be able to just go up and ask somebody hey will you be my mentor hey will you be mm -hmm. my coach yeah, but it, it, happens, it still needs it to happens. be it needs to be strategized on how you ask that question it's like mm -hmm. this is the area i'm working on i've seen that you have exhibit a b and c experiences with it can you please set aside an hour a month to talk with me and help me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but yeah the the mentorship and the coaching was definitely organically grown where i i kind of earned the 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 capability to have that time with them 
and then it's mm-hmm. grown into more from there. Awesome. So are you mentoring anyone yourself? I am actually. Um, I mean, I, I have the impromptu mentorships nearly on a daily basis with everyone in my, on, on the team. Mm-hmm. But as far as true, like, someone requesting mentorship i am still involved with the pi kappa alpha fraternity out of indiana state university as a health and safety um, advisor so i yeah so i've been i've been mentoring the health and safety chairman there for the last year or so and it's really beyond the helping them program health and safety into into the fraternity but also just helping mentor them as far as like how do I how do they determine what career they want to do how do they get into that career field uh, what should they do steps from here to there mm-hmm. and then just always leaving the underlying concept of enjoy your life don't don't get so uphold on whatever is directly in front of you just know that know that there is always a brighter side to it and enjoy the process as you go through it. Hmm. And what a great way to give back to your campus. That's a, that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Um, Carter, you had, you had, um, said with me, said to me previously, um, you know, about how do you finding ways, uh, particularly as a young professional to find your voice in this career. And do you want to expand on that? And I'm guessing maybe it's a piece of this mentoring and mentorship and coaching you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So finding your voice has definitely been a difficult thing. Um, Hmm. It kind of comes from two perspectives. Throwing out age, it's really just an experience as far as knowing you don't know what you don't know. so when I first came into the profession, I had, again, a lot of the the by-the-books knowledge. Um, but ha- know, knowing how to communicate those effectively is where, where the lacking uh, capabilities were. So again, I was, I was and continued to be self-critical and looking, constantly looking for constructive criticism, but some people choose a single idea or a single concept of safety to become a specialized individual on, and that's how they get their voice. Uh, so, so like for, for instance, an ergonomist was going to, is going to choose ergonomics and industrial hygiene. Hygienist is going to choose industrial hygiene. Uh, someone might say, someone might enjoy fall protection. So they're going to become the fall protection program manager. Um, I felt like I was able to comprehend and develop all of the programs effectively and I didn't want to keep myself into one of those instead of prospering and becoming kind of a a level above each of them to where I would consider myself a a generalist Mm -hmm. where I would Mm -hmm. consider myself a safety professional. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to quickly pick up based off of just work reaction or interactions I had with my senior, the senior safety specialists. And, um, it became more of a, what can I do more beyond safety, but while using safety. So 
at this point in time, I think I've personally found my voice in the concept of workplace optimization. So while I was at Naval Surface Warfare Center Crane, blessed the fact that they had such a, a strong infrastructure in the safety office, I was able to kind of develop my capabilities in other areas as well. So I ended up doing my... Uh, my my Six Sigma green belt, which as you continue to go down those roads, you realize that safety truly is connected to all sorts of the business operations of any business. Right. So that's where I actually got some of my big, bigger breakthrough um, projects in the safety world. Is after I did my green belt certification, you know, we had a few of the safety accident or the accidents in which I was able to combine my skills with safety investigation and also the integrated product teams and brought together the project that was actually associated with my National Safety Council award uh, where I brought together four or five different warfare centers and put together a product that we were able to use as a kind of best practice across each of them on um, a life cycle management plan for floating assets. So. All of so that, to just, a, yeah. All yeah. that to come back to the the, the workplace optimization and uh, professional professionalism flexibility. Right. So Carter, you mentioned um, Six Sigma. So for people who are not familiar with what that means, do you mind explaining it? So I will give this the best of my shot here. So there. <laughs> well, I know I know it's complex. So yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> Take so, a crack. Thirty thousand feet. So there are, just for the initial confusion that some people may get, is Lean and Six Sigma. So um, Lean is, it's associated with Six Sigma, but Six Sigma is more of the idea of where you kind of go through and you look for how you can optimize a process based off of bringing together all of the different... um, personnel that you might need so they've called it the the one-third one-third and one-third process so you have one-third subject matter experts uh, one-third just people that do the work and then the other third is someone that has no one associated with it and you come together and you brainstorm and you develop a process with uh, metrics or um, key measurements that can identify how you can continue to improve the process and then lean is more of the statistical analysis of how you can actually take all of that information and continue to make it work better. Interesting. Thank you. So um, was that pursuit of your green belt in Six Sigma, is that something you decided to do on your own or is that something that was supported by um, the Warfare Center? So or- yeah. It's actually both ways. Uh, I I chose to pursue that on my own as I, again, I saw the greater breadth that the safety profession had. And so mm-hmm. if I could understand that communication style and incorporate safety into it, I could continue to make safety a more business-related discussion versus just a, we have to do it because of compliance measure. But uh, within the warfare centers, or specifically in SWC Crane, um, the Six Sigma 
personnel and training was a very strong suit there. So Mm -hmm. it just so happened to be the right place at the right time where I had three uh, master black belts that were very, very approachable. Uh, One of them was actually my neighbor back in Indiana. Mm -hmm. And I guess another um, slide in there is my mom actually completed her uh, black belt prior to retiring as well. So I knew a little bit more on that one side as well. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So you, you knew what you were getting yourself into, at least a little bit. At least a little bit, right. Yeah, yeah. So um, you, you, you started to talk about um, NSC's Rising Star. So do you mind sharing that information with us? Like, first of all, what is it as you understand it and how does one become a rising star? What is it that you, that you did? And you started talking about that. Thing. Yeah. So from what I understand it, the rising star award is an accumulation of somebody else in an organization that you work with taking the responsibility upon their own hands to document all of the great work that you might be doing. So, um, I ex- I had submitted an application for a coworker at NNCBC Crane who ended up winning the 2020 Rising Star, uh, incredibly deserving individual as well. And then he was kind of one of those individuals that I had a a very healthy competition with. So it wasn't necessarily who who is a better safety professional, but it was who who's going to do the next thing that you know, brought better measurements that brought a greater safety culture, uh, fill mm-hmm. in the blank. Like we just had a healthy competition. And so mm-hmm. as as I had documented some of his recent initiatives, he was able to document mine that were going on the exact same time. And so, so he submitted one for me on the 2021. And so that was, uh, as as I was alluding to, it was a very, it was a longer process with the integrated product teams so once the final product came out, it just so happened to be within 2021. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's based, it's the, the award in and of itself is decided upon by the National Safety Council selectees. So it it's only one person per organization. I don't believe there's actually a cap on the amount of personnel, but mm-hmm. there's 84,000 employees in the NAVC, which is the overarching uh, organization that I'm a part of, mm-hmm. in which of that, there's a certain percentage of safety professionals. I believe it's around 500 to 600 at this point. Uh-huh. But um, So not to say all of them were submitted, but only one could be submitted out of the amount that is in that organization. And we have had, we being the Navy, have had a relationship with the National Safety Council for at least the last eight years, I believe. Okay. In which we are all supposed to have, or not supposed to, we all have the capability to have an account with the National Safety Council where mm-hmm. we can use their, their benchmarking processes and their uh, online training. And we get a little bit of the discounted fees for all of the National Safety Council uh, events sure training and whatnot yeah so what does um when you find out that you've you've won this award what is that like do they give you a 
phone call and say, congratulations, you're a star? Do, do you get a letter? Uh, yeah, well, uh, what does it look like from, yeah. so from it, your side? Yeah. It really depends. Since I have the perspective of both the, nominate, the nominee and the nominator, um, yeah. as it depends on how the nominator decided to uh, distribute the information. So if oh. they chose to not, not tell the nominee until the award was won, it could actually be a complete surprise wow. that, that okay. you, you didn't even know somebody has submitted the package. Uh-huh. Uh, but normally there's quite a bit of information that you as a nominator will need to get from the nominee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so it'd be pretty hard to do it. it. Yeah. So like yeah. you're having, getting, just randomly asking for your resume and what your perception on safety is and all that good stuff. Like you could technically s- slide those into just random conversations with a person, but mm-hmm. it's just far easier to keep them involved from the very get go and making mm-hmm. sure that their their true voice is seen in the nomination. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So you go through the process, you get it submitted. You can work with the awards committee at National Safety Council to make sure that whatever submission package that you are going to submit is of high quality and then once it goes through the process you get an email that says either your your nominator or nominee was selected which is an awesome thing it, it, they kind of they go through they really want you to be there in person to receive it so they'll start to uh, communicate when the when the national safety council uh, safety and congress expo is Mm-hmm. Uh, the the day that the the awards are supposed to be, uh, what all that your package would include if you were able to go, uh, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. But it, then also, if you weren't selected, you just re- you would receive an email that says you weren't selected. Right, right. And so the the Congress and Expo happens to have been last week at the time of this recording. So how did that work for you? Did you did you go or were you not able to? I chose to not go this year. Um, mm-hmm. I had some uh, personal obligations the week before, and mm-hmm. I, just knowing how busy we can be in the office, chose not to take more than two weeks off in a row. So, yeah, yeah, and everyone can certainly understand that. Can certainly understand that. I wasn't there this year either. Oh, well, congratulations! That is fabulous. Yeah, fabulous. So Carter, um, curious. You've been you've been in the work of health and safety for how many years now? So I have been in the government services, working on my sixth year now, and then okay. I did an accumulation of about a year and a half of internships through college or sure. through undergraduate. So. We'll go ahead and just say a solid six years altogether now. Yeah, right. So what's your favorite part of this work so far? The daily changing of dynamics, for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, It keeps keeps you on your toes. Um, Mm -hmm. There's numerous times where I will be reviewing a construction design uh, and then have one of my other safety professionals or safety specialists ask me, for assistance on reviewing a fall hazard plan to getting a call from the East Coast saying that they need help developing a lockout tagout procedure. So it, it 
it changes on a, di- a daily basis, sometimes minute by minute basis. Mm-hmm. Um, but my favorite part of that change dynamics are the, the friendships, relationships, and networking that I can develop as we go through it, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Uh, what's your least favorite part? <laughs> Is it maybe it's something with managing people, not specifically the people, but like rigmarole of uh, government paperwork or something. <laughs> I mean, I would say the least favorite part of it is having to justify funding or uh, justify yeah. the time that we do towards certain objects of safety. Uh, sure. it, it, and it, it makes complete business sense. You can't just throw out, this is safety. It's important. We have to do it. Exactly. It's one of those, we're not the only department or division associated with our corporate operations department. So mm-hmm. we can't just have 12 people in the safety office, which would be awesome. I would easily mm-hmm. be able to distribute you know, two programs per person and everything would have so much time for continuous improvement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it just doesn't work that way. So... Uh, being able to uh, strategize, set up a plan, and actually communicate effectively goes a long way in the in the profession. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as we're as we're closing in on our time today, wondering if you have um, have anything you'd like to share with um, with others who maybe are getting getting their start or just getting started, like you or. Um, are maybe interested in civilian work in the military or yeah, anything so like that. Yeah. Just to jump right into it, um, take advantage of, of the social media networking capabilities we have. Uh, if you mm-hmm. don't have a LinkedIn account, create one. Uh, just search ASSP or NSC and just start following all the big names you see in there. Um, they will they'll lead you down directions and information that you never thought possible. I know I've found a, quite a few amazing people on there that I learn from on a daily basis. Um, take for granted articles that you read. Uh, don't don't just read it and think, oh, this is the next big thing, but actually read it and then apply it to what workplace knowledge you already have and think. Can I change this to actually fit my workplace? Can it fit my workplace as is? Or is this just not not something that's going to be feasible for the workplace? Mm-hmm. Uh, just because you read something doesn't mean it's the next big thing. And then for, for the civilian world or working in government services, uh, working for the Navy is not the only thing. Uh, so go, go to usajobs.gov, create your, create your account, and start playing with those filters. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, it is easier as an engineer or scientist to get into the government as a direct hire, but that does not mean that as a safety specialist, a business analyst, a contracting officer representative, all those other business-related positions, you're able to get in. And it is a very rewarding um, position to have. Um, there are all kinds of people that you could ask to get more information from. Uh, that's also where I would just say use use your social media capabilities there, and then be be courteous when you uh, send messages or 
look for networking capabilities. Uh, everybody is incredibly busy these days, so uh, be be clear and concise with your communications, <laughs> saying hey, and then expect them to reply is not a good way to go. Uh, in in your first message. <laughs> Yeah, I get those messages. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh -huh. like, introduce yourself, but get get to the point. Like, if if you want to bring somebody on your to your podcast, introduce yourself, say what you want, and that for those people that truly <laughs> care about expanding upon the profession will be plenty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Carter, to bring things full circle, um, you mentioned your dad at the beginning. And, uh, you know, how you, you kind of didn't realize he was a health and safety professional until you started talking with him about your career planning. What are your conversations like today? So our conversations today are, are very entertaining, nonetheless. We, mm -hmm. it'll literally just kind of be a story to story to story. Sometimes mm -hmm. the stories connect, sometimes they don't. Um, he'll tell me about I mean, yeah, I've heard the same story a few a few hundred times at this point, but it never gets mm -hmm. old of uh, where he goes out and was uh, conducting a fire per uh, a burn permit and was inspecting the pile and and found found things that should not be getting burnt, and then well, I'll I'll give a a scenario that I'm in right now, and he'll discuss about how how much harder it was back in his day. <laughs> so it's it's not per se uh -huh. a competition, but it's just always funny of like his life or his experiences. He was able to do some of the same things without an education. That's what he likes to throw into my face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was a different. It was but a then different there time. is the occasional thing that I throw out there when I start talking about some of the more sophisticated things, and he's—I shouldn't say sophisticated, but. Other things that technical. he wasn't involved. Yeah, technical. There we go. Yeah. The more technical mm -hmm. terms. He's like, okay, yeah, you can have that one. <laughs> oh, interesting. So is he still working as an explosion explosives expert? No, he's a he is a do things on the farm expert now. <laughs> nice. Yeah, he, he, nice. uh, he where he doesn't walk around and inspect electrical safety and all that stuff anymore. He's the kind that takes forty five minutes to strap down a load of furniture that you might be taking to your sister's apartment complex or something along those lines. Uh, <laughs> he still Excellent. he Excellent. still finds ways to incorporate his safety past into the in the present. Uh, well, it never leaves us. I I uh, I don't I don't know anyone um, who's a retired safety professional who ever just like leaves it aside and starts leading a risky life. No, <laughs> no there's often times we'll be walking down the street and he will and we'll both look up see the the construction guy up on a ladder on top of a scaffolding and we we cringe and we think do we do our civic duties and go say something or do we keep on moving <laughs> mm -hmm. yes yeah, such is uh, the plight of a safety professional i know that one well yeah <laughs> yeah well carter thank you so much uh for sharing your story today and again congratulations on being a 2021 rising star with nsc Thank you very much. Uh, greatly humbled and glad to have made it onto your podcast. <laughs> Me too. Thank you. And thank you all for spending your time listening today. And more importantly, 
Thank you for your contribution toward the common good, making sure your workers, including your temporary workers, make it home safe every day. If you aren't subscribed and want to hear past or future episodes, you can subscribe in iTunes, the Apple Podcast app, or any other podcast player you'd like. We'd really love it if you could leave a rating and review us on iTunes. It help us, helps us connect to the, the show with more and more safety professionals like Carter and I. Special thanks to Naeem Jiraisi, our podcast producer. And until next time, thanks for listening.